If you have your Bible this morning, let me ask you to turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. We'll be in verse 18 in just a moment. Uh, so good to see all of you. As you can tell, our uh, worship is a little different today. I get the privilege of preaching uh, both in this service and also live and in person in our celebration service. Somebody uh, from time to time will ask why we, why we switch it up and do it like this sometimes. And uh, there are a lot of reasons, but the primary one is we want you to know that we here at First Baptist do not have a primary service and a secondary service. And while I am uh, most of the time preaching in person in the sanctuary service and I'm on video here, uh, I want to be over here as much as I can. So uh, that's why we do it this way. I want you to know we love you and care for you. And we have two primary worship services at First Baptist Church, and this is one of them. In fact, in a few weeks, and I'm not sure the calendar date, but I'm going to preach here, and we're going to be on video in the other place. We're going to do it, we're going to turn around and do it backwards, and, and uh, so we'll be excited about that in here, and they'll be excited about that over in the celebration service. Uh, we are one church, one congregation, and we just worship in uh, two different services. So we've come to Ephesians chapter 5. One, one other just preliminary note is that... Uh, several of you have asked about um, uh, some ways that perhaps our church can help with the situation in Ukraine. And uh, I appreciate the questions. In fact, I spoke with one of our church members this morning who is going to help us do some research uh, about how we can help. I did do a little bit of that last week, and I know that the the Southern Baptist International Mission Board, they're on the ground there and they're doing some things. And, and I had read just briefly about how we could be a part of that. Uh, but this week, we're going to put both on our website, and I'm going to talk about this in the weekly pastor show, which is a little video presentation we released in the middle of the week, uh, to give you some ways that you can help out financially, uh, but also how to pray. And that is a very important thing right now, as so many people, their, their lives and their livelihoods are, are in jeopardy. Uh, but this is, um, when there's a crisis like this, certainly terrible, terrible things can happen and they will, uh, but there's also an opportunity for God to work in the lives of people uh, that sometimes are not focused on the things of God unless life is in crisis. And so you'll be praying for both the believers in Ukraine and also those that uh, uh, perhaps are having some, some faults of the Lord today uh, that they have not had in a very, very long time. So we come to the book of Ephesians. Uh, we've been here for a while. I told you we would finish our study of the book of Ephesians by the time we got to Palm Sunday. I can tell you today we will be nowhere near finished with the book of Ephesians by then. Uh, but we're all going to stop, um, well, even actually a couple of weeks earlier than we planned. And, and, and I want to focus on the return of Christ. And we'll spend about six or eight weeks on that. And that'll be part of our Easter series that's coming up. But we'll get as far as we can in the book of Ephesians. And when we finish uh, the return of Christ, then we'll be right back here and we'll finish up this book. But today we come to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And this is uh, perhaps the most unusual verse in the entire book of Ephesians. Uh, it's unusual, it's odd, but at the same time, it is the pivotal verse, I think, that helps us understand at least the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians, but maybe even the entire book. This is how it works. We read these commands and these instructions, and sometimes we just get frustrated with them, and, and there's so many things we need to do, and we wonder how can we do them? Well, the answer is our verse today, Ephesians 5, 
18. So let's look at it together. It says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. So what is this verse about? Is it a verse about wine, or is it a verse about being drunk, or is it a verse about some exotic spiritual experience being filled with the Spirit? What is this verse about? Well, it's a verse that honestly is difficult to really, well, it's it's not difficult to understand, it's difficult to accept, and that makes it difficult to preach. And so you don't hear a lot of sermons on this verse, at least a lot of sermons that get to the, to the real grit of what it's teaching us, the value of this verse. But what I want to do today to help us understand is I want to teach it to you three different times. I want to start by giving you a modern day parable that I think will teach you the verse. And then I want to back up and take another approach. We'll look at some of the words. We'll, we'll do a dive into the vocabulary of the verse, and that'll help us understand it. And then we'll take another step back, and then we'll, we'll go at it again by giving you some steps. We'll give you a roadmap for the filling with the Spirit. And I think once we put those three things together, hopefully we'll have a really good understanding, the value of this uh, verse. So let's start with the parable. Uh, this is a crazy story. I read it in a, in a book this week. I didn't, I didn't come up with this. I'm not this uh, creative. But, 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 but imagine that a man had uh, purchased his first new car. Now, this isn't some make-believe world. I know that this couldn't happen. But this man is all excited about his car. And, and he's excited, but he doesn't really understand. Uh, he understands that the car is beautiful. And uh, he shows it off to his friends. He's very proud of it. He shows them the leather interior. He lets them listen to the sound system that is like no other. And uh, he's really proud of the car, but he doesn't understand that the car has an engine in it. I mean, I, I, it's a made-up story. I understand. But he doesn't understand that the car has an engine in it. So everywhere he, he goes with the car, he has to push it to get it there. And, and so while he's very proud of his car and he loves showing it off to all of his friends, the car is really becoming more of a burden than a blessing because everywhere he goes, he's got to push the car. He's got to get people to help him push the car. He's always tired because he's pushing the car. And while he probably would never admit this out loud, he comes to the place where in his honest moments, he would have to admit that he wishes he never had the car to start with because it's just a burden. But then one day a guy comes along and says, listen, there's something about this car you're not aware of. It has another feature that you should be aware of. It has an engine in it. And he shows them how to crank up the car. And he shows them how the accelerator works. And the man jumps in the car. He presses the accelerator and off he goes. And then finally he realizes the, the value of this car. It's not a burden anymore. It's a blessing in every way. And it takes him everywhere he wants to go. He doesn't have to push it any longer. And then he says, why didn't somebody tell me about this long, long ago? Well, that would be a very far-fetched story with a car, but it is a scary true picture of how many people live the Christian life. We get the idea that while we have been saved by the grace of God because of his goodness and because of the work of Christ upon the cross, we think that now that we are children of God, That our Christianity is something that we have to do to live out the Christian life. It's something we have to accomplish in our own strength, in our own power. We have to do this. We have to just push more. We have to try harder. And, And we get to the point where we're frustrated with our Christian life. And while we're thankful for the end of life benefits, I mean, nobody wants to go to hell. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But other than that, while we might not admit it, we get to the place where we wonder why we're even Christians. 
It seems like our faith is more of a burden than it is a blessing. It's because we don't know about the engine. See, the good news is that God has given us a Christian faith with a motor in it. And while I want to be careful that I don't make the Holy Spirit into some Star Wars force, because he's not, he is a divine person, the Holy Spirit, in a sense, is the engine for our Christian life. We do not grow as Christians. We do not keep these commands in Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6. There's probably 60 commands here. We don't keep these by our own power, by pushing our faith. The Holy Spirit will provide the power, the engine, the motor to change us so that our faith is a blessing, not a burden. That's what the Holy Spirit can do. And that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Now let me explain it another way. We'll get all the pieces when we get these three explanations. Let's look at just the text. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. We're going to get to the drunk with wine part in just a moment. But what does it mean just... Looking at the vocabulary, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, we take that expression, that word really, filled, and we see how it's used in other places in the Bible, and we see how it was used in other literature of the day, and we can really, we can really capture what Paul, uh, the writer here, the human writer, is saying what he means when he says to be filled with the Spirit. So let me give you four quick illustrations, four ways that that word was used. Number one, it was used of wind in the sails of a boat. And so they would say the wind, we even say this today, the wind has filled the sails of the boat. So an old sailboat, uh, I know now they, they have motors in them mostly, and um, oftentimes the sails are just there for appearance. But uh, in a sailboat in Paul's days, for sure, uh, those, those boats, they moved simply by the power of the wind. And these great boats, heavy boats filled with people and cargo could move across the ocean, move across the Mediterranean Sea, driven by the wind. The wind was the power. Without the wind, the boat wouldn't go. Without the wind, you couldn't move it. But the wind was the power that moved the boat. And so when he says here that we will be filled with the Spirit, one of the things he's talking about is the Spirit can be the power that moves our Christian life. Another illustration is uh, the preservation of meat. Uh, so in those days, they would say the meat has been filled with salt, what do they mean by that? Well, they would take salt and they put it on the outside of the meat. And even though the salt was on the outside, the salt would work its way in. We've all marinated steaks or, or uh, uh, salted steaks and, and you get that salt in. And, and, and that salt then, when it fills the meat, it accomplishes some things. One of the things it does is it preserves the meat. It draws the moisture out and, and uh, the meat will not decay. It purifies, in a sense, the meat. Well, the Holy Spirit, when he fills us, he works into every crevice of our lives and he brings the force of preservation. He can purify our lives, weaken temptation. Isn't that what, something that you want in your life? I want it in mine. And so the preservation of meat. The next illustration is 
the emotional takeover. What do we mean today? And you see this, in fact, a half dozen times in the New Testament. What do we mean today when we say that somebody is filled with an emotion? If we say that a person is filled with uh, compassion or somebody is filled with anger, that's, that's probably an easier one. What does it mean if somebody is filled with anger, filled with rage? Well, we mean that the emotion has taken over their lives. If somebody is filled with rage, it's the rage that's controlling what they say. It's controlling their attitude. It's controlling all kinds of things about them, right? They're filled with rage. Well, to be filled with the Spirit means that not only do we have the power and the purification, but to be filled with the Spirit means that means that the Spirit is controlling us, that, that, that we're not being controlled by our own sinful desires, our own sinful flesh, but we're being controlled by the Spirit of God. You know, the worst things, all the worst things that have happened in my life have been because I was in control. Well, to be filled with the Spirit, I want that because I want God to be in control of my words, my actions, my attitudes. And I'll give you one more. It's not in your outline. Um, but it should have been uh, drunk with alcohol is the, is the fourth picture here. And the reason why I, I'm surprised that I left this off, I noticed it this morning. Uh, this is the most obvious illustration because right there in the verse, right? He says, don't be filled with wine. Don't be drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Spirit. So filled with the Spirit is sort of connected to being drunk with wine. Well, what does it mean if somebody's drunk with wine? It means that uh, they've lost control and the wine is in control. They're, they're, they're drunk, they're, they're reckless, they're out of control. Well, he says if, if, if we are filled with the Spirit, then something very similar happens, but in a positive, not a negative way. The Spirit will, will protect us, will give us wisdom, will give us control, will give us judgment. You know, wine... Being drunk will take away your good judgment. Being filled with the Spirit gives you good judgment. It changes us. And you know, the interesting thing about somebody drunk with wine is that you can tell, right? The wine and the drunkenness is something that's on the inside of them, but you see it on the outside of them, right? You see someone who's drunk and you can tell. They tell by the words they say and the things that they do. When we're filled with the Spirit, it, it is something that happens on the inside, but it's something you can see on the outside. Somebody's filled with the Spirit, you can tell. You can tell it in the things they say, the things they do, the attitudes they have. And you, can, you can tell in the fact that they have this selfless love and it's not about, it's not about who they are. It's about taking care of the people around them. And, and, and so while it is, a, it is an inward event, it has an outward expression. So that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit, it's the power. It is the purifying. It is the control is this outward manifestation that God is controlling a person's life. Now, let's see if we can put all of that together. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. See, God has saved us. Uh, God has rescued us from our sins uh, by his power, by what Christ did on the cross. You didn't... You didn't earn your forgiveness. You didn't rescue yourself from your sins. And you know that. But now that we are Christians, does God want to continue to work in our lives? Or does God now set us alone for us to form the character of Christ with our own power? Well, see, no. Christ has started a work in us 
And Christ wants to finish the work in us. God wants to give us the power not just to be saved, but he wants us Wants, wants to do the work and give us the power and work in our lives in order to form the character of Christ in us. It's not just that God gets us started at the starting line and then abandons us. No, the Holy Spirit wants to be with us every single step of the way. So this is both the frustrating part of the Christian life and the beautiful part. It's frustrating because people don't know this. The whole book of Galatians is a book about this one subject. The people in the church at Galatia, they got it wrong. I think we're so much like the people at the church of Galatia. Ooh, we're so much like the people in Galatia. We, we understand how we became a Christian, but now we think it's all up to us. And Paul says to the people of Galatia, no, you started by Christ, you finished by Christ. The filling of the Holy Spirit is the key, the power for living the Christian life. Okay, so if it's so important, how do we do it? How can we, if it is so valuable, how can we be filled with the Spirit? And that's the whole question we have, right? Now, this is, this is the part that's hard to explain. It's not hard to do, but it's hard because we don't want to let go of something that we have to let go of. So let's, let's see if we, can, if we can wrap our minds around what it really means then to be filled with the Spirit. So I'm going to get technical for a minute, uh, but this is important. If you look at the actual phrase, be filled with the Spirit, and we put on our old uh, 10th grade grammar English hats. Uh, I don't know if we have a grammar teacher in here, could probably help us more than I could. Uh, but if we look at this phrase, be filled, and we look at the tense of the verbs. Now, hang with me a minute. This, is, uh, this will mean more than you think it will. What is the tense, what is the verb tense, be filled? Well, it is present passive imperative. So those are the, we, we're, we're going to do away with present. Uh, I had a whole page on present, <laughs> but you don't have enough time. So you can read it this week if you're interested. But let's look at passive, passive imperative. This is, where, this, is, this is where it counts. What does passive mean? Passive means you don't do it. Somebody else does, right? If, um, if I'm passive and you're active, you're doing it. I'm just watching you. If I say, um, we are going to pick up all the chairs when the service is over, and the service is over, and I sit here and watch you pick up the chairs... You're active, I'm passive, right? I got the chairs picked up, but I didn't do anything. I was passive. So that's what passive means. You don't do the work. What does imperative mean? It's present, passive, imperative. Imperative means you do the work, right? You're commanded to do it. If I say, get out of here, that's a, that's a command. That's an imperative. So how can something be passive, you don't do the work, imperative, you're commanded to do it? This is important because this is the economy of God. This is how so much of the Bible works. So you with me? What does it mean to be passive? You don't do it, but imperative, you're commanded to do it. Be filled. Well, passive imperative is when you have a command to you, but you are not the active doer of it. Rather, you are cooperating so that somebody else does it, 
but you are still responsible for it. Does that make sense? It means that you don't do it. You cooperate so that somebody else does it, but you still have responsibility that it gets done. And so when he says be filled, he's not saying fill yourself with the Spirit. He's saying that you need to let somebody else do it. The Spirit be filled with or by the Spirit, but you're still responsible for it. You see this throughout the Bible. The Bible says be transformed. Do you know that verse? Is that uh, Romans 12? Always get Romans 12 and Hebrews 12 mixed up. But it says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, you don't transform yourself, do you? It didn't say transform yourself. It says be transformed. It's God through the scripture who transforms you. You just have to allow him to do it. And by the way, you're responsible to allow him to do it. The Bible says to be saved. You don't save yourself from your sins, do you? No, you allow God to save you from your sins. But you have to allow him to do it and you're responsible for that. So here he says be filled with the spirit. This is not something you do, it's something God does. But if you don't allow God to do it, it will never happen. And I'm afraid that's where so many Christians are. We, we have this beautiful car, but we don't have the engine because we don't allow God's Holy Spirit to fill us. So how do we do it? Here's where I want to give you some steps. But before I give you the steps, and they'll be quick and, and easy, I want to tell you how reticent I am to give you the steps. Because when I give you steps... I know what's going to go on in people's minds. You're going to think, well, here are the things I need to do to be filled with the Spirit. And, and that's not what I mean. This is something that, that the Spirit does. I remember when I was a young Christian, I've got, and I'm thankful for all the people that love me into the kingdom, but I got some really bad Bible teaching in church. Because I would go to church uh, every week and the pastor or the youth pastor would just give me a whole bunch of things that I needed to do. Stop doing this and start doing that and stop doing this and start doing that. And I really wanted to do all those things. But listen, I couldn't do any of them. I was just a sorry, rotten sinner saved by the grace of God. And I had really been saved, but I still was just as sorry and rotten as I was before. And I would, I would come to the end of every worship service, every Sunday morning service, every Wednesday night youth service, and I would just be, I would just be broken over my failure. And I would make all these promises, God, this week I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a better person. And I'm going to be more disciplined. And, 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 and I'm, going to, I'm going to keep my eyes focused on the right thing. And I'm going to control this. I'm going to control that. And I didn't do any of it, but I meant to do it. It's because I was trying to do it. And because well-meaning Bible teachers were just giving me a whole bunch more things, every week I would come to church and just find... Four more reasons why I was a failure. And, and they were giving me all these things, but I didn't have the resources to do it. And you don't either. So I'm hesitant to give you four steps because I'm afraid you're going to think, okay, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to, I'm going to be a better Christian. And so here I'm going to try harder. And that would be the opposite of what I'm trying to do. I'm going to give you the four steps. But these are about allowing God to do the work. Does that make sense? That's why I wanted to give you the illustration to start with, the parable about the car. It's, it's the motor and not the push. That's why I wanted you to think about the sails uh, being blown by the wind. It's the wind, not the sail. So here are the steps that I reluctantly give you. Number one, make yourself eligible. God's spirit only works in God's children. We have to start here. If you're not a child of God, none of this applies to you. 
Uh, the verse that we've already mentioned, and we're going to come back to again, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. God's going to finish what he started. But if he hadn't started it, he can't finish it. And if, if for you, being a Christian is just about trying harder, and it's never been about submitting yourself to God, surrendering, and trusting what Christ has done for you on the cross, then you have not been born into the family of God, and God can't finish what he hadn't started. So it starts with the, sur with the surrender, making yourself eligible to be filled with the Spirit. Number two, we must confess our sins. Now, in coming weeks, we're going to be to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, eventually, and we're going to, we're going to talk about uh, grieving the Holy Spirit. And that's where we're going to really talk about confessing sins in the Spirit of God. We'll spend a whole sermon on that. But know this right now. The Spirit of God can't work in the life of someone if he has unconfessed sin. Now, the Spirit's not looking to work in a perfect person because there aren't any of those. And, and, and the, the Spirit is not work, looking to work in a life that's all cleaned up because that's what the Spirit wants to do. He wants to clean up your life. But what he is looking to do is to work in the life of someone who has confessed his sins. And if you have sins in your life that you haven't confessed and don't regularly confess to the Lord, then you have eliminated yourself from the possibility that you'll be filled with the Spirit. We need to, every day, confess our sins to the Lord. I'm afraid for most of us, our, our daily time with God is, is more about, hear my prayer request and make me feel good today. And it's, it's not enough about, God, here's where I failed yesterday. Here's where I had a sour attitude with my wife. Or, or here's where I, I didn't handle things right. Or I got distracted. Or I did this. Or I, I should have done this, but I didn't. There needs to be a daily time of confession in our lives in order for the Holy Spirit to fill us. And this needs to be regular. Imagine back to the car illustration. Let's say you buy a new car and it comes with a tank of gas and so you're thankful. You're driving it all over town. You're showing everybody your new car. But you never put any gas in it. What's going to happen? Well, about a week into your ownership of that new car, it's just going to stop on the side of the road somewhere and it's going to stay there. Until what? Until you put more gas in it. You know why a lot of people are frustrated with their Christian life? Because they've run out of gas. And if we don't have that regular confession in our lives, you'll run out of gas. You'll run out of the filling of the Spirit. This is something that has to happen over and over. I could chase a rabbit for an hour, but, but listen, there are some spiritual blessings, Holy Spirit blessings that happen one time. For instance, the baptism of the Spirit. That's a whole other sermon. But the baptism of the Spirit happens only one time in a person's life. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. But the filling of the Spirit happens over and over and over and over and over, and it has to. Now, number three, very quickly, we must saturate ourselves with God's Word. Now, all of these, I'm looking ahead. Uh, we're going to get to this and, uh, when we get to uh, Ephesians six seventeen, and we talk about the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. We're going to see the connection between the Holy Spirit and, and the Bible. But today, let me just say this part. We must saturate ourselves with the word of God. And when we do that, we create a roadway in our lives for the Holy Spirit to fill us. The Holy Spirit works through the conduit of God's word. If, uh, if you have running water in your house, it's not because there's some magic that happens at the faucet. No, there is a pipe that connects you to the city water source or some water source 
and that water runs through that pipe into your home, the filling of the Holy Spirit works through the conduit of God's word. We have to be saturated in God's word. But let me get to the last of the steps, because this is where I think sometimes we fail. We must declare our faith. We need to be a child of God to be eligible. We need to confess our sins daily. We need to be immersed daily in God's word. But it all comes down to faith. It's interesting, there's a verse in the Old Testament that probably we wouldn't be familiar with were it not quoted so much in the New Testament. It's in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Do you know that verse? You probably don't, but it'll sound familiar to you. The just shall live by faith. You know what that means? It doesn't just tell us that the, that the just, the Christians, really he's talking about here for our purposes anyway, the just will become Christians by faith. We do become Christians by faith in Christ and what he's done for us. But he says the just shall live their lives by faith. It's not just, faith is not just what gets us started. It's what keeps us through every day of our faith. Let me read how Paul says it in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He's looking back. There was a time I was saved. I put my trust in Christ. Christ gave me new life. But here's the rest of the verse. The life I now live in the body, he said, that's past, but let me tell you about present. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I, I was saved by faith, but I live by, this is something that has to happen every single day. And, and the reason why so many people are frustrated with their Christian life is they're not still living by faith. They're not still living by faith. So pastor, how do I do that? Faith in what? Faith in what? Faith that what God has started in you, God's going to finish. I am. Uh, probably 10 years from now, if the Lord lets me and you both live, uh, I want to tell you a story about something that happened in my life on September 4th last year, where I just was reminded in a way that I've never experienced before that what God has started in my life, God's going to finish. And it's uh, the story, I, I don't know, it's just too fresh right now, but um, we have to have faith that God's still working on us. He's still changing us. He's still fixing us. And it's that faith that God every day is trying to smooth us out and form us into the character of Christ. It's that daily faith that allows the Holy Spirit to fill us. It's when I have faith, God, if I surrender to you today, then you have a work today that you're going to do in my life. And I believe that. And when we have that kind of faith, imagine, this is difficult to explain, and, and, and forgive me if, I, if it's not clear, but, but think about it this way. Imagine if you were somehow to be transported today to heaven. That today, somehow, God comes to you and says, I want to take you to heaven, and I want to show you the future. And so you go to heaven, and God shows you the future you. And you see what God is ultimately going to do in you. I mean, you see the streets of gold and, and all that, but, but what you're most excited about, other than God, of course, is what God has done in you. And you see yourself perfectly glorified. 
You see yourself with no sin, with no desire for temptation. You see yourself holy and pure. You see yourself with perfect peace and perfect joy. And you see all that God's going to do in you. And you're just amazed. It's like the black and white world has become color. And, 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 it's, and, and it's like everything you imagine and beyond what you can imagine is true because of what God has done for you. He's just overwhelmed at the person that God has formed you into. And then God sends you back to earth and you're back to the same old rotten you, you know, that you are today. But there's a difference, right? Because now you know what God's going to do in you. Would you live differently when you got back? I guarantee you would. I think every time there was a temptation, every time there was a problem, a struggle, a frustration, a discouragement, you would think back to, I know where this ends. I know what's going to happen. It's like knowing the end of the movie when you're in the middle of the movie and the tensions are high and everybody's, you know, just about to freak out, but you know how the movie's going to end. You would be an entirely different person when you came back because of what you knew What does it mean to live by faith? It means to know that. I've not been to heaven to see the eventual Noel deer, but I've read about it. And I know that God's going to do that. And he who has begun a good work in me will carry it on to completion. And to have faith, to live by faith, is to wake up every morning and know that God's Holy Spirit is working in me to take me to that place and to form the character of Christ in me. And I should be excited about it. And I should be enthused. And I should want it to happen today. That's what it means. We, we should have faith that that is a reality. We should have confidence it's a reality. Because the Bible says it is. So one more time, back to the car illustration. I know that a lot of people are frustrated with their faith. And while we wouldn't say it in a place like this, sometimes we wonder why we're even Christians. And I think it's because we don't, we haven't cranked up the engine in the car. We're not allowing ourselves to be filled with the Spirit. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will finish it if you'll let him. So what if we woke up every morning and before our feet hit the ground, hit the floor, what if you said this? Good morning, Lord. Today, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be controlled and empowered and saturated by the Spirit of God. So I know it starts with confession. And you confess your sins. And Lord, I know I should saturate myself in your word as it becomes the conduit for the Holy Spirit to come into my life and to fill me. And today, Lord, I declare my faith and my confidence that you're doing a great work in me. And I know that you'll do some of that today. Just with your head bowed and eyes closed. Are you filled with the Spirit? Not have you been or will you be, but today are you filled with the Spirit of God? You can be if you're a child of God. Would you ask him to fill you? Would you, would you tell him you're going to get out of the way? You're going to cooperate? 
Will you be filled with the Spirit today? Father in heaven, I'm not filled with the Spirit every day. And that's on me. Because some days I want to be in control. I want to do it by my own strength. I want to get my own credit. I want to do it my own way. Those are the days I disappoint you most. Help me to be filled with the Spirit. Because I can't live out this Christian life, but you can. I can't change me, but you can. Fill me with your Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we worship.